0: What do you do in your life when you run upon a dead-end street, a harsh moment, a difficult not just day, not just hour, but season of life? How do you deal with that? How do you push through that? How do you cope with that? I'll tell you, a phone call that came in a few weeks, maybe a month or so ago, and I happened to pick up the phone and, and take the call uh, directly, and it was... On the other end of the line, a voice of desperation of a man who had just received word from his wife that she was leaving him. He had just received word earlier in days, weeks, I don't know how far back, that he was losing his job. And he didn't know, he knew that he couldn't make the house payments and the car payments and keep the lights on and all that kind of stuff uh, with his, obviously, no salary. He didn't know how he was going to to push through that circumstance and situation. He did not know me from Adam's house, Cat. right? He did not know Grace Point Church. Uh, He had never been here before. But that, 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 that day, he called and was telling me his story. And basically, he says, I have no hope. I have no hope and I don't know where to turn. His hope And literally his word, my hope is gone in life. And I thought about the situation that he was in, and I think, what do you do when your hope is spent? When really you just look at life and you just say, life stinks. And there's probably a few other choice words that you might say to describe life. Where do you turn? Why did he call me? He doesn't know me. And maybe he wasn't even calling me. Why did he call Grace Point? Why, did he, how did, how did, why didn't he call a mechanic? Why didn't he call, you know, an accountant? Why didn't he call a teacher? Why pick up the phone and call the church, a church you don't know, talk to a person you don't know, tell him your life story whom you don't know? Why? his hope was spent. I remind you of the story I told you last week at the close of my message of Marilyn who went to a school dance in April in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania a few years back and how when she got to that the the, the school dance and how uh, uh, the science teacher Steve Gillette was killed when a rogue student came in and and just started shooting and ended up shooting the science teacher. And she came into the doors of the church and and, and basically said to to the first hostess that could greet her, she said, said, "I, I had to be with people today who believed in something. That was her phrase. What do you do when your hope is spent? What does Marilyn do when she looks around life and she says, what is this all about? I mean, I need to be with people who believe in something. Tell you another phone call I received in the middle of the night several years back. It's back when we didn't have a church building, we didn't have a church office, and the phone rang into, 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 into our home, and that was the church office, was our, was our house, and, uh, it was in the middle of the night. I don't know what time it was. I, I just remember the voice on the other end of the line, again, similar to the voice that I heard a few weeks ago, uh, saying basically, I am on the cliff, and I'm going to kill myself unless you tell me why I should live. Now waking me out of a dead sleep and asking me that kind of question is like throwing cold water on somebody. How do you jump into a situation like that? I don't know. You know, tell me about your life. So we go into a 45-minute dialogue back and forth, communication back and forth, of which I was not, ready for mentally, spiritually at that ungodly hour, but yet had to put on the game face. Had to get up and get in gear. Because this person was about to wherever, whatever they were doing. This was a lady this time, and she was about to end it all. What, what, what again? I, I'm just going to give you bad stories today. The point being is you've got people in Pennsylvania, you've got people in northwest Arkansas all hours of the night, who are literally, or even in the middle of the day, who are saying, what do you do when your hope is spent? Where do you turn when life is harsh and ungodly and unkind to you? I would really like to be able to tell you today that if you'll follow Jesus in these three easy steps, that you won't have any of these problems, but it's not the case. In fact, I'll just tell you, you're going to have hard times if you follow Jesus because you're following Jesus. And it will not be easy at times because you have chosen a very narrow road, a very difficult road in following Christ. But I mean, maybe you're not at the the, the cliff's edge to say I'm ready to end it all. But you know, maybe today your hope is spent relationally. Maybe your hope is spent in your relationship that you're in. Maybe your hope is spent when it comes to your job in your career and where you're at and where you're headed and, and how you thought you would be here, but actually you're here and maybe it looks like you may take a couple of steps back before you can ever take a couple of steps forward again. Where are you at relationally? Are you, is your hope spent? Like these people in their life, I'll tell you, you look at it, you think in following Jesus's way that it would be the way that would be the easy way to go. But if you take your Bibles, be open to Acts chapter 5, and you just kind of know the brief history of, of Acts, then you'll, you'll, you'll remember that in Acts one, Jesus is kinda of like getting ready to leave. In Acts two, he's he's gone. Okay, he's off the scene and the and God's spirit is on the scene and 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 then three it just kinda of keeps developing and four it's developing and by five these followers of Jesus, which are now in the thousands, are are, are facing jail time. Now again, hold it. Jesus is has, has left in chapter 1, he's left these 120 disciples in a, in a rented room upstairs that we call the upper room. And Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, I want you to go everywhere. He's told them to be quiet at times. We even read a verse last week that told them to be quiet about this right now. But in the future, you will be able to share it. And so when the Spirit comes, then you go. Now you would think when the Spirit comes, now you're going to have all the hope and the joy of life, and you're not going to have any of those problems. But actually the word, you will be my witnesses, as he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, literally means you will be my martyrs. The word witness there is "marte," which means to be a martyr. So to to, to follow Jesus and to say that it's going to be an easy road, a road that that will have no pain and suffering, then I I would be sorely wrong in saying that. I will tell you there will be difficult times. In fact, living for God will actually bring it on because these, these disciples that we're going to look at today are really living in a harsh time. They're living in a very difficult time. When Judaism and Christianity are, 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 are splintering and Judaism is obviously very, very, very strong and they're very, very intimidated by Christianity and the uprising of Christianity. And how, are, how is this going to all fit, fit together? Because the Jews are losing their congregants by the thousands as they're going over to Christianity and following Christ. And, so, and, and, the, and these new believers are coming into our temple and they're preaching their gospel. So what do they do in Acts chapter 5? They take them and they arrest them. Uh, we'll teach them. We arrested Jesus and and we were able to shut him up by killing him. They thought, finally, but it obviously didn't work. But anyway, so we'll arrest him and we'll put him in prison and we'll kind of scare them into this. Well, they tried that in the first part of Acts chapter 5 and they sent him back out and, you know, they did it again. They got back into the temple. They went back right where they were. They kept telling the message of Jesus Christ. And what did they do again? They said, well, okay, we're going to really fix them this time. We're going to take them and we're going to put them in jail and we're going to put them on trial and we're going to really teach them a lesson. These guys and gals were doing God's will, but yet they were living a very harsh and difficult life. They were following Christ, but yet Christ did not take all of the hurdles and the the disastrous moments of life out. In fact, in their following Christ, they had to deal with disaster, and heartache, and disappointment. And we find in Acts chapter five, verse twenty-seven, kind of where they the second time in prison now, they they they're standing before the judge and and the jury, the council, and this is what it says in verse twenty-seven. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, "We gave you strict orders." not to continue teaching in His name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with the, your teaching. I love that. They filled the streets of Jerusalem. They filled the alleys of Jerusalem. They filled the homes of Jerusalem. Everybody was talking about it. And if it was on the Internet, if they had Internet, it had been on the front page of everything in, on Jerusalem's homepage. It was all over the place. Filled Jerusalem with His teaching and intend to bring man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. We told you not to do this and you're going out and you're doing it anyway. And they just really made it very clear about his whole, his whole goal in life, his whole paradigm shift in life, his whole aim in life. He says, you just got to understand this about me. I've got to obey God rather than men. Well, the whole story kind of continues to unfold there because they got a real smart, wise, respected individual into the, in, into the council. His name was Gamaliel, and they got Gamaliel on, on the scene, and they said, what should we do with these guys? We've already taken them. We've already told them not to do it, and they're back here again because they did the very, very thing we told them not to do. And they're not making any promises that they're not going to do it when they leave again. So Gamaliel, a very wise man and respected by all, said this basically to them. He said, listen, you know what, if it's, if it's real, or excuse me, if it's a fake, just let them go. They'll end up imploding, it'll all fall apart, it'll not mean anything. Just send them on their way. But it, I love, love Gamaliel's statement, he says, if it's of God, you can't stop it. You won't be able to shut these guys up. It'll be, as Tertullian said, it will be the blood of the church uh, uh, is what will spread the church. It will be that that will keep the church going. So here they are. They're in this situation. They, they, they hear Gamaliel and they add a little bit to it. They're going to let the guys go, but before they do that, they're going to beat the fire out of them, okay? And so we pick it up in verse 40 and they took the, his advice to a point and they added a little bit to it. And after calling the apostles, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So here's a situation you got followers of Jesus doing the Jesus thing, going the Jesus way, saying, I'm going to obey God rather than man, and yet they're being beaten and they're being imprisoned and they're having a very harsh life. So I come back to you and I ask you a question. Is your hope spent today? Because you may be very well here today and you've brought it on yourself the choices you've made, the life you've lived, the relationships you've had, the whatever it is out there that's caused your hope to be spent. Or maybe you're just living for God and you're trying to do the best thing you can, but yet you still feel like you're living in a very harsh and difficult environment. How do you survive? How do you get past survival mode and get into thriving mode? How do we live in this world... That whether you're living for God or not, you're going to have harsh times. How do you survive the harsh times of life? I'll tell you one thing. You don't do it alone. This is not an alone thing. You don't get on an island and try to figure it all out. You don't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't do it alone. You do it in community. It takes more than that. Listen, I'm going to fall and I'm going to need somebody to help pick me up and not kick me down. And not step on me. You're going to fall. You're going to need somebody there to encourage you along the way. You're not going to be able to do it alone. You're going to find yourself in very difficult moments, and you're going to find your hope spent, and you're not going to know where to turn. You're going to pick up the phone, and you're going to call somebody, and you won't even know who it is. You're just wanting hope in your account. How is it What are the staples of life that can kind of hold us together week to week, day in and day out, Grind to grind, life on life. I think there's at least two staples that you see in this passage that we'll look at. There's at least two staples that kind of every believer needs for their faith to thrive. All right? And I hope that you're one that just doesn't want to survive, but you actually want to thrive. The very first staple that everybody needs is everyone needs a celebration experience. Everyone needs a celebration experience. You've got to remember, again, from Nero to Constantine in Roman history, every emperor was out to kill the Christians. Nero blamed the, uh, the burning of Jerusalem in the 60s on the Christians. And I just read this week all of what all the other emperors did to try to annihilate and blame everything on the Christians. It was an out-and-out, all-out all all war against Christianity until 1313. When Constantine in 1312 became a believer, all of a sudden in 1313 in the Edict of Milan, he says Christianity is not the cult that we've made it out to be. It's the real stuff. And we need to listen to it it is interesting that it was by uh, 1381 in the Edict of Thessalonica that Christianity became the state religion. So in a matter of 300 years, Christianity went from being a cult and a ragtag, 120 people up in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, to by 1381 it became the state religion, thus the beginning of Christendom. Now, that's just a little bit of history, and I like history, so I like telling that. But here's the point, is that we're talking about a time period here where Christianity was not a welcomed thing. You were rogue, you were were a cult, you were not accepted. And here they are living in this kind of environment. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have churches. So how is it that they kind of carry their faith forward? How is it? That what I want to call what we're doing in here today, that celebration experience, that I'm saying that everyone needs a celebration experience. I'm saying every one of us in this church, every one of us who's a believer, whether this is your church or not, you need a place that you can go constantly and celebrate together. Because these early believers did just that. They could not live it alone. In that early church, they would go to the temple. We just... You just heard me tell you that story. They would go to the temple. That was the largest place that would with me. It was a religious establishment. It was where they would go and they would celebrate. There was only one temple. That was in Jerusalem where the Holy of Holies was. And so where would they go when they were not in Jerusalem? They would go to synagogues. Look with me here at this passage of Scripture. Verse 41. Keep reading there. He said, So they went on their way. Now they've been flogged. They've been beaten. They've been told not to share any more about Jesus. And now what do they do in verse 41? They're set free. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. Every day in the temple. The temple was that place where they would come together and celebrate and remember large groups of people. Remember, there are thousands of new believers at this point now. Where are thousands of people going to meet in a day and age when church buildings are not allowed? They had to go to the temples. Whenever Paul, as a new believer, uh, he, the very first thing he, very first place he went was to the synagogue. In Acts chapter nine, verse twenty, it says, "Immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues." So the synagogue was that place of celebration. In Acts chapter 17, verse 2, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service for three Sabbaths in a row and he used scriptures to reason with people. And and here's Acts 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and he continued speaking out boldly uh, for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Let me say this to you. The synagogue was to the first century. The temple was to the first century what this building that we are in is to us in the 21st century. And I will just say this. This campus, this building, we can do church without it. I've done it under trees. I've done it in schoolhouses. You can do church at a lot of different places. But you need to have a place where you can come together in a larger group of people and celebrate because you can't do it alone. You'll not make it alone. They got together in the synagogue. They got together in the temples. When we get together, we will experience, as as Matthew says, we will experience God's presence like none other. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. We will experience when we come together collectively. We do it every Sunday. They did it every day. Because they needed it. They wanted it. They longed for that. They came together in the temple. Paul got together in the synagogue. Wherever it is that you can meet, under a tree in Africa or in a schoolhouse, wherever that may be, get together. You need, I need, we all need a celebration experience. What is it that you get when you go to a celebration and you, no, let me say this, when you are a part of a celebration experience. Let me say it like that. Not when you go to it to watch a performance, to watch the band sing, to hear a message that you can decide whether or not you're going to align up with it or not, or you're going to critique it whether you liked it or not. The stories were good. The quotes were you know, whatever. But when you go in and you experience celebration, you are a part of ce- What do you get? There's a couple of things that you get. One is you get a corporate worship experience. There's all kinds of thought and Convictions and beliefs on what a, a a worship service is there's more there's more convictions about what a worship service is than there are possible verses in the Bible to establish those convictions, whether it needs to be more traditional it needs to be more where uh, it needs to be more contemporary or it needs to be more ancient. Future worship. There's all kinds of styles and manners of worship. There needs to be one more charismatic. There needs to be more, more reserved and more reverent. You know, all these kind of convictions about it. What is worship? My quick definition is not going to add any more, but just more pages and more, more ink on, on paper to, to give a definition of worship, but I'm going, to, I'm going to attempt it. And I just break it down in three, three definitions. The word worship in English at its very root is the word worth. Okay, when when you talk about worth of worship and what is what is worship, we are worshiping what is of worth to us. When you worship God, you are worshiping something that is worthy of your worship. Okay, but what other definitions are there? The Hebrew word uh, in, in in the Old Testament would mean to bow down. You bow down to that which is greater than you. You bow down to 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 that which is is more awesome, more powerful than you. In the Greek, if you look at how the New Testament defines worship, worship in the Greek language means to kiss towards, to kiss towards something. You kiss what we adore. Okay, I don't kiss your children, and I don't kiss you when you come in here. But I do kiss my wife, and I do kiss my children, because I adore them, I love them. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a matter of something here about I love it. I love them. So here you take all those three definitions together and this is my definition of what worship is. Worship is adoring God as Lord of all with all I am. When you come together on this Sunday morning and you come together next Sunday morning, hopefully, I hope that you will come and fall in love with Jesus and that you will adore Him because He's everything. He, you'll bow your life to Him. Because He is God and you are not. And I am not. And that you will kiss toward Him. You will adore and kiss Him. And and you will worship Him with your heart. We are not the performers up here. God is the audience. He's the one sitting out there. We're the worshipers bringing Him our worship. What you get when you have a celebration experience sunday after sunday or week after week or day after day you should have a corporate worship experience and there's some side benefits god is the the recipient of this worship but it's interesting there's some side benefits to corporate worship one is it encourages believers you get encouraged i get encouraged when i ain't. I am mean, with you and we're worshiping together many times in just about every service, I always stand back in the back in the beginning of the service because I just want to focus in. I want to worship with you what you worship as we all worship together. Then I come down and I get ready and I focus in on the message. But I I love to see you worship. I love to see you clap. I love to see you raise your hand. And I realize that you can do all the mannerisms and motions of worship and not be worshiping. You can be right up here on stage playing a guitar and not be worshiping. You and I have got to learn. We've got to just fall in love with Jesus and kiss toward Him and bow our life toward Him because He's awesome. He is God. And that's exactly what worship is. But not only does worship as a sidebar, encourage believers, but I'll say this, it also is a witness to unbelievers. It is a witness to unbelievers. Now, we don't worship to witness to unbelievers, but the amazing thing is, is that when we are serious about our worship, and that we really adore God, and that we really bow our life to Him as He's the Lord of all, when we really, really do that, you know what? People around are watching. We have a number of people who week in and week out are first time, only time, one-timers here. And when we are truly worshiping here and when we're worshiping out in our lives and day to day, guess what? They see that. Some may think we're crazy, but some may really think they're serious about this. I now see the difference in their life. The verse I've been memorizing this week, and I'll not try to do it all from memory, but I have my cheat sheet here, but... It's in the psalm, Psalm 126, verse 2. It says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts. With shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. I love that phrase. Because you know what it tells me? It tells me the world is watching us. They're watching us and as we are we're laughing and as we have joy in our hearts and as we're living out our faith and we're shouting joyfully to God in worship, guess what? The world is looking at us and they're saying the Lord has done awesome and great and wonderful things for them. The world is watching us worship. In fact, uh, Eddie Gibbs says it like this, and I think it's very, very profound. He says the weekly worship service is the shop window of the church. You watch people in worship and you'll really see where they are with God. Here's another verse for you. Out of the message, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25 says it like this, If some unbelievers, outsiders walk into the service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. Before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God recognizing that God is among you you realize as you worship and you express your worship and you live out your worship day to day, week in, week out, when people get around you, they will see your worship. And as a side note, because you're not doing it for them to see you, you're doing it because you love God and adore God and you're kissing toward God and you're bowing toward God. And when you do that, the world around you is watching and they're being intrigued and they're being drawn in or they're being repelled. Let your worship flow from your heart. Corporate worship is what you get in a celebration experience. Here's another thing, collective sharing and serving. When we come together, we're able to pull our resources, pull our talents, pull our treasures, pull ourselves together, and we're able to give like none other. Again, you can go on in your own time and read Acts chapter 3 whenever the disciples were going up to the temple to pray. Again they were going up to their celebration experience they were going up to the temple to pray they saw a man on the side with begging for alms they didn't have any money to give him to give him money so what did they do they said peter said i don't have any money to give you but what i have i'll give you rise up and walk they gave of themselves When we give of ourselves in worship, when we serve and changing a dirty diaper over here, or we're teaching a Bible story to a child over here, or we're greeting a first-time visitor coming in the door, when we are sharing and serving, when that offering basket passes in front and you joyfully give, we are doing that as a worship to God. It's a celebration of our relationship with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a martyr for for Christ, uh, who stood up against nazism in germany said this the church is the church only when it exists for others only when we are thinking outside of ourselves and beyond ourselves and sharing and serving are we truly 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 being the church There's a church on every corner in northwest arkansas would you agree with that But there's only a real church when we are sharing and when we are serving and when we are giving. When you come together in weekly celebration experience, you come together to bring your worship. You come together to share and to serve of your time, talents, and treasures. The third benefit, or what comes out of a weekly celebration, is challenging growth in life and faith. Hopefully every week you leave here and I hopefully, hopefully, hopefully... You know, I haven't succeeded if I made you laugh. That's not my goal. I haven't succeeded if I told you a good story. I haven't even succeeded. I have some people come to me. I went to sleep today on you. And I said, well, thank you. That really helps me feel good. You know, I haven't succeeded if I kept you awake. I've, exceeded, I've succeeded if I've challenged your life. And I've made you think about your life. I made you think about your faith. I made you think about your walk with God. And you really are pondering it. And you're really wrestling with it. And you're really stepping up to the plate. And when you go out on Monday morning, your life's going to be a little different. Vance Abner, famous Baptist preacher of old, said, It's my job to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. And that's my job. If you're here today and your hope is spent, I hope you'll leave here with some hope. But if you're here today and you're complacent in your faith, I hope today you will leave a little bit more dissatisfied with your faith. That you'll be alive again in your faith and in your walk with God. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. We already read the verse. What did Paul do when he went into the synagogues? He used Scripture to reason with people. Reason. Get them thinking. Get them processing. Acts chapter 19, verse verse 8. Reasoning with And persuading them about the kingdom of God. When they went into the synagogue, when they went to the temple, week after week, day after day, what were they doing? They were worshiping, they were sharing and serving. What were they doing? They were also coming together and being challenged in their faith, being challenged to think differently about life, to live a little bit, to live at a different level than the week before. I pray that happens here every week time you come here i hope that every week as you're trying to fill up that hope tank in your own life that you will have a celebration experience that will do that here and i hope that you will be contributing to that process in other people's lives as well but here's another thing another staple that will keep you in life and you can't look past this now you may choose this but obviously i'm i'm speaking to the choir today you're here aren't you it's those empty seats. Those people, they need to hear this. I don't need to hear this. But yes, you do, because you need to realize, again, the value of it for your day-to-day life. But also there's another thing, another staple that some people choose to not take on. It's another staple that really can make a difference in your life and faith. And it's another staple that these early believers made sure that they participated in. Everyone needs a community connection. Everyone needs a community. Small group of people. That they can get with, that they can connect with, that they can share life on life with. You see it beginning in Acts chapter two. You see it again here in Acts chapter five. You see it again and again and again throughout Scripture. In fact, archaeologists have found that the first homes that were literally being being altered to make room for small groups inside their homes, they have found homes that they really believe that were dedicated as late back as. 150 to 200 A.D. that people were altering their homes so they could have more space in their homes for these small group gatherings. Again, we look at this passage. Look at verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they got together. Paul's been preaching for years. You need to be in a group. David's now carrying that torch. You need to be in a group. Not because these guys don't have anything else to say. It's because they realize the value of it. Lives are changed. Community is established. Connections are made. Because you know what? You can slide in and out of here. You can come to a celebration experience anyway and you can slide in and out of here, in and out of here. And nobody ever know who you are. And I not meet you, and you not meet me, and we not meet, and no connections are made. But when you get into a small group, and you get into a connection group, when you get into a, a body life group, when you start making connections, guess what? The next time life begins to fall apart for you, guess what? You're going to have people around you seeing it in your eyes and walking with you through it. I've had people say, why didn't the church throw me a baby shower? Why didn't the church you know, come to my funeral? Have, uh, my family member, why didn't they do this? I said, well, were you in a small group? No, I don't, I don't have time for that. That's just not, didn't fit into my life schedule and my, where I'm at right now. I just tell you, there are going to be some things you're going to get in a celebration service that you will not get in a small group. And there are going to be some things you're going to get in a small group that you will not get in a celebration experience. You need both. They did both. It was of high value. Community connections is where you're going to... What are, you, what are the benefits of it? Number one benefit, community is where life is lived in authenticity and transparency. It's where life is lived. It's where the babies are born. It's where the, the deaths are experienced. It's where we learn, as Paul said, to laugh together, to cry with those who are crying, and to, to laugh with those who are laughing. It's not a network club. It's not a therapy hour. If you need therapy, we'll get you to a counselor. It's where you experience life together. Again, to quote from Eddie Gibbs, he says, if anyone can go missing from your church without being missed, they never were a member. It's a pretty good statement. When you're in a group of people and there's three or four or five or six families and that's about all there is in that group and you're really connecting and bonding and you're, you're making relationships and life on it's not a forced thing. It's happening because you are a family. You are really about a relationship at that point. So community is where life is lived in authenticity and transparency. But the second benefit of sharing in a small community is that community is where faith is developed with accountability and challenge. You know what? Again, you can hear a challenging message here on Sunday, but you can walk right out and ignore it. But when you're in a relationship with people, a lot of people like to keep this distance thing going on. When you're in a relationship with people, you, you, you know what? Here, let me go back to my very first story. They want to they do this through life, but they'll pick up a phone and talk to an absolute stranger when all hell breaks loose. But when you already have a relationship and they can see it and sense it before it ever happens... What a difference that might make. There can be an intervention before the tragedy and the train wreck come about. Faith is developed in accountability and challenge. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. So one man sharpens another. Howard Hendricks in his book by that very title, Iron Sharpens Iron, he said this about Alberta uh, Bandura, who was a psychologist for many years at Stanford University, claims that the most, that the most human behavior is learned is up. Op- observationally through modeling. That basically, if you really want to pass on your faith, what they're saying is get with somebody else's life. Don't go listen to a seminar. Don't go listen to a message. As much as that's what I'm doing right now, you really want to get your faith lined up with somebody over here. Get into a relationship with somebody who's living that out. Somebody who knows how to manage their money, and you're, you know you're you're living from paycheck to paycheck. You don't go get with somebody who's got credit or debt up to the kazoot. All right, don't go talk to them about it. They don't know what they're talking about. Go get with somebody who's living it out. Somebody's got a good marriage. Don't go find somebody who's had five marriages. So I can tell you everything wrong to do about a marriage. Go to somebody who's been faithful for fifty years and rub shoulders with them, and learn how did you love through this circumstance of life. You're not going to do that if you live like this. Get into a community where your faith can be developed. Get connected with people where your life can be changed. You know, as I wrap things up today, and I think about my own life, it's really hard. I've always called myself the small group killer. There's something about when I go to a small group, the leader gets uncomfortable, the group gets uncomfortable because the Bible answer man has just showed up. And I don't know everything and I don't pretend to know everything. But it's it's sad. And so I really have for a long time avoided going to groups. But I've also realized in my own life I need relationships with people. It's awesome that I'm in a group right now. I have several groups that I'm, I'm meeting with. People constantly, one-on-one, four-on-one, you know, whatever, ten on one, whatever. But there's a group I'm in right now that I can truly say for the first time in a very long time that I really believe we're all equal. They don't look at me as the Bible answer man. They'll hold me accountable. We'll hang out together. I hung out with some of them last night even. We'll go to a movie together. We don't get together as little as possible to keep David, happy, you know we'll meet once a month there in the summer. we'll cut it off in the summer. Give us ourselves a break. We don't meet once every other two weeks. we don't meet once a week. We meet twice a week every Tuesday and Thursday through lunch for two hours and it is again, I can say this one of the better growth one on not one on one it's 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 five of us. Guys challenging each other. I needed that. And I'm a pastor. If a pastor of a church needs community, don't you think you do too? The interesting thing is is in nine eleven, you know what happened? Everybody went to church after nine eleven. Nobody you know, it was, church was tapering off a large degree. Um but after 9/11, sociologists tell us that the largest pike, sp- uh, spike, excuse me, spike in church growth happened the very Sunday after 9/11. Now the thing is, is that four to five weeks later, they said it was the largest fall off in church attendance after 9/11. People went to church and they got to church, and one of two things happened: they either got to the celebration experience, and there was nothing to celebrate. There was no hope there. There was no encouragement there. There was no presence of God there. I don't know. The church was sick. It's been sick. Or maybe they just didn't connect. Maybe they didn't give of themselves. Maybe they were just going. I don't know. Maybe the church was completely irrelevant. But I'll tell you this, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you don't have a small group that you're in, you're just asking for hell to break loose in your home or your job or your life or whatever, and you're going to go alone, and then you're going to get mad at the church because they didn't step up. Well, you know what? All you had was a celebration experience. You didn't have the community. There'll be times in your life you'll go to the community group, or you'll go to your small group, and you're like, man, I just that didn't mean much to me. Well, you know what? You should have been to church on Sunday. It was an awesome worship experience. God spoke to a lot of people. You need them both. What did they do whenever they, when hell was breaking loose in their life? They got into a temple every day. Large group. Experience. Celebration. Experience. And they got into homes. Connecting with people. I can't stress for you enough, if I need a group, you need a group. If you need a celebration experience, I need a celebration experience. It will make our life so much sweeter and so much more tolerable. And I think it will be a staple in our life that will enable us to thrive forward, move forward. Josh, are you in here still? Josh, can you come here? I want us to sing that song softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. Because I'll tell you this. As much as it's about the church, this series of messages... If you don't enter, if you enter into the church and you enter into a small group, but you don't enter into a relationship with Jesus, you're gonna miss it. it. Starts with Jesus. But when you have a relationship with Jesus, I think you can see it in the early church. You're also gonna need a worship experience. You may be here today and say, Hey, I need to be a part of this church, this celebration. I need to be. Jesus is softly and tenderly calling me today. You may be here today and realize you need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, is softly and tenderly calling today. You may be here today. And say, I, I need to be part of a small group. I've been alone, fighting it on my own. I need people around me who will hold my arms up, like a, like Moses had Aaron and her. Would you pray with me? Father God, would you speak to us today? Would you softly and tenderly call us today? Would you do a great work today? Lord we don't have to have a building but Lord you've blessed us with one but we do need each other we can't go it alone we need these challenging moments and we need a community of believers around us who we can live life on life and I pray that we will be able to be a church that will make a difference in people's lives in such a way that they can connect with others more importantly first foremost, they will connect with you. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Lord, I would pray today that you would allow anybody who does not have a relationship with you to see the worship of our own.